So we're going to start the year off with a new sermon series. Let's say this together. Seeing, seizing, and taking advantage of God-given opportunities. Seeing, seizing, and taking advantage of God-given opportunities. So we're going to start this sermon series off. In fact, let's just go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this is the day that you have made. We are going to rejoice and be glad in it. We're grateful for everything that you have provided. We thank you for every opportunity, Lord, just to even wake up this morning. Lord, because we know that a dear friend, a long-time servant of the body, went home on yesterday. And Father, we pray for that family, but for those of us who are yet living, we know that each day brings new challenges. But with those challenges, there comes power, there comes strength, and there are opportunities to excel. We thank you, we love you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody all right on today? Is everybody all right on today? All right, all right. So that is the theme for the year. It's seeing, seizing, and taking advantage of these God-given opportunities. But I want to start off today, and I just want to choose one of these words, and that is the season for seizing. This is the season for seizing. Now, it's easy to see a lot of things, but in order to actually seize them, you've got to do something. You've got to move. You can't seize anything if you don't move. Nothing is coming to you. How many of you have ever had someone knock on your door and offer you a job? Anybody? No. Okay. I can't say one time I got a job that I did not apply for by way of a phone call. Don't ask me how. I was a teenager. Somebody called me up and said, hey, we understand you applied for a job. And I'm like, yeah, okay, and I got the job. But those opportunities are not the norm. Those are the exception. But you, in order to, in order to seize anything, you have got to make some changes, and you have got to move. Now, none of us were born perfect and without flaws. If you're like me, you can look in the mirror and find something about yourself that you don't like. Your hair, your feet, something about you, you're like, I wish I wasn't like this. But that's how we are. That's who I am. There is nothing that I can do to get rid of these freckles. So what I do, when I look in the mirror, I don't look at my freckles. I look at something else, but I don't look at that. So it's the external that we have problems with. But what about the internal? What about the inside of us? Can we change that? You, you can't change without spending a lot of money, $1,000, either in makeup or surgery. You're not going to change the outside, but we can always change the inside of us. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, he says, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang into life and I died. So what does he mean by that? There was an age of innocence that we all experienced in life. Yes, David said in, in, in Psalms that, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived me. But we are basically innocent for a portion of our life. But then when we get to know what the law is, 
then sin is revived. The commandment came and sin sprang into life. So then that's when I died. I was innocent. I was alive until I began to know what sin was. According, according to Jewish customs, there is the bar mitzvah, B-A-R, and the bat mitzvah for boys and girls. Boys, the bar mitzvah is at 13. Girls are 12 for their bat mitzvah. And at this point, they, are long, they learn about laws, tradition, and ethics. And they are now accountable for the things that they do. We've heard of bar mitzvah before, right? But I want to give you another example. There's a young man in, who's from Kansas. Yes. A teen named Braxton Morale. 16 years old. In May, he is going to graduate from high school on one day. At 16 years old, he's going to graduate from high school, walk across the stage and get his diploma. The next day, he's going to walk across the stage and get his, his, his uh, bachelor's degree from Harvard University. At 16 years old, he's going to get two diplomas, a high school diploma and a college degree in two days. Now, this young man has also said that at an early, early age, he suffered from depression. He wonders, he wonders why he is the way he is. Yeah, he likes to play video games and do things that other teenagers do, but he's questioning his purpose in life. Is there a God? He's given an above average, far above average intellect. But it has created some problems. So I ask you this. If at 16 years old, he's this intelligent, do you think he knew sin before he was 13? Did he know sin before he was 13? So we can't put it off and say, well, sin is only limited to a certain gender or a certain age group. When sin comes in our lives, we know it. We learn how to take out the trash. We learn how to wash our face. We learn how to make our beds. We learn right from wrong, and we understand if you don't clean your room, there will be consequences. You may not get to play. You may not get to watch TV. Or in the old days, the belt just, just might come off. <laughs> But this is our season for seizing. But regardless of the time, the place, the age of wherever you were, when you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, regardless the time, the place, or the age, now it is up to you to seize this opportunity. You can't put it off and say, well, you know, I'm only eight years old. But you know right from wrong. You know when your parents or someone, an adult, tells you not to do something and you do it, there are consequences. And it's up to you now that you have accepted Jesus Christ to live by your confessions. You have to have a relationship with him. Traditionally, we're taught you get up on Sunday morning, the men put on a suit, the women put on their dresses. Easter, we wear patent leather. Yeah, I don't know what it is. You got to find a pair of patent leather shoes to wear on Easter. And we get up and we go to church. And then we come home and we do what we do. 
Sunday school was something that I, I believe as our research started somewhere around 1780. But when did Bible study start? When did Bible study start? And no one seems to have an answer. But I will tell you this, Bible study started when people began to read the Bible. But then when they began to read the Bible, they said, well, this is what I see. What do you see? And so they began to get together and say, why don't we call this a Bible study? There is no official start time for Bible study, but when you learn about Jesus, you are studying the Bible. It is Bible study. Now, we have evolved into cell groups because larger churches are not going to have people come out all the time. But nevertheless, it is something that we have to do individually each and every single day is to study God and his word. For scripture, I want to use 1 Timothy chapter 6. Scriptures that we have probably either read or heard or are familiar with. And I'm reading from the NIV version. It says, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Stop right there. How many of us are completely content with food and clothing? I thought I saw a hand go up. <laughs> now, is that to say that, hey, you, you got a roof over your head and you got food to eat? You know, shut up. Be happy. That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is God wants us. He wants his people to be prosperous. Who was the most prosperous person, the richest person who ever lived as far as we know? King Solomon. The richest man ever to live was King Solomon. So if God was willing to bless him, what makes you think he doesn't want to bless you? And that was not under grace. That was under the law. The richest person was Solomon. Do you not think God wants to give you the riches and the glory of this world? So that you can say, well, who gave this to you? It was not by my hands. It was by my father. My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. My father created the universe. He created the heavens and the earth. And guess what? He created me. And everything I have is not. Yes, he gave me knowledge and wisdom to do these things. But it's not by my hands. It's by his heart. It's by God's hand that I have these things. Do you want to know him too? That's what Jesus wants. That's what he wants for us. So this scripture, when we talk about it to be content, it's not, it's, it means to learn how to say, I really don't need a 500 pair of shoes. <laughs> 7,000. <laughs> now, now, now. Side jokes, y'all. <laughs> but we have to learn, you know, because there are people who will, who have to get a brand. They're they're on the lot today. Someone is buying a new car, a 2019, because they're ready to get rid of their what 2018. That's what it means about learning how to be content. That's what it means. But then verse seven, or excuse me, verse nine. Those who want to be rich 
fall into the temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, notice it's saying here, those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge who? People. Now, let's, let's say this, those. Let's pick a person. Tom, those. You are one of those who want to get rich. You fall into a destructive temptation and harmful desires, and you will cause people into, to plunge into ruin and destruction. Because when you go after riches and glory, when you go after more than what you need, more than you can spend in a lifetime, and I'm not talking about an inheritance for your children and your children's children. I'm saying you've got money to waste. You're spending $20,000 on a watch. Come on now. I mean, seriously, we can, we can go too far. But when you do those things, think about the people who are hurt because you're embezzling money. Think about the people that are devastated because you've got this plan to make all of this money and they spend their life savings giving it to you and putting it in your hands. So it's to want more, to get greedy, and to be falling into this temptation. It's not just about you. It affects other people. Next verse. For what? The love of money. Not money. It is the love of money. That is the root of all kinds of evil. So whether you're watching Netflix or Showtime or ABC, NBC, and someone makes a statement, well, you know, money is the root of all evil. No. Money is a tool just like this paper is a tool for me to read off of. It depends on what you do with your money. It's what you do with your money that makes it either a good tool or a bad tool. Some people eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, again, let's look at this. Some people eager for money have wandered from where? The where? So, pop quiz. The Bible says faith comes by hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing by the word of God. So, how many of you feel your faith rise to another level when you're in church? You're hearing the word, you're hearing the music, and you're like, man, when I get home, I'm going to open up my Bible, I'm going to study, I'm going to pray. Your faith is at a whole new level while you're in church. And as I was sharing with uh, Sister Pamela on yesterday, when I was taking college algebra, when I was sitting in class and I was taking notes, I'm like, yeah, I can do this, I can do this. And as soon as I get home, I'm like, I don't have a clue. Because I didn't put into practice, and I would get home so late from class, I wouldn't do my homework while it was fresh in my memory. And I would wait till the next day, and then I'd forgotten. And when we don't put the Word of God into practice immediately, then the sower that sows the Word, the parable, Mark chapter 4, it falls on that dry ground, that stony ground, and the enemy comes, and the sun comes, and it takes the seed away. So when we don't seize the opportunity to put God's word into practice, it gets taken away from us. So while we're in church, 
And we're at that high level of faith that says some have wandered from the faith. So what does that mean? Let's look at it this way. Some who are in church. This isn't for the world. This message is not for the world. He is not talking to the world when he writes this passage of scripture. He's talking to us. He's saying that people in the church have wandered from the faith that they're hearing, hearing by the word of God, and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Because we're trying to find ways of getting things that God did not intend for us to have in the manner that we choose to get them. God wants you to... Thank you. So God wants you to have this and pay cash for it. God wants you to have that and make it look nice. And if you have what you have, don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed to let anybody put you down because you don't have what they have just because of... Well, maybe I don't want that. Like, I'll pull up in my car, I just wash it and wax it, and then I'm riding down the street, and I'm like, man, I got a nice car. And then I pull up beside a Mercedes. And I'm like, well, you pay for it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you want to pay for it, if you want to go through all of that, then fine. But don't be ashamed of what you have and where you are. Because this is a season for seizing. Now we're going to move forward. Now we're going to move forward. But do not allow yourself to be in this position that you wander from the faith and cause yourselves many griefs. Verse 11. But you, woman of God, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, and this is where I'm going to take my text from. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Some people are going to work a lifetime trying to achieve goals, and some of those goals are completely unattainable. As a teenager, I was given the offer to go walk the Appalachian Trail, which I think extends somewhere from Georgia all the way up to Maine. 20, that was quick. <laughs> you did it? <laughs> I mean, you just, he spit that out so quick. <laughs> like, yeah, I did it. It's overrated. <laughs> but that was something that I wanted to do. Was it, was it really at the age of 16 something that was really attainable? I mean, I wasn't even really used to spending the night at somebody else's house, let alone spending how many countless number of nights in the dark, in the woods, picking berries, drinking water out of creeks. I mean, it really was not an attainable goal. It could have been, but not for me. But people are going to spend their lifetime trying to do things that they know they can't do. And it's not to say that we shouldn't strive to do better, to do better things. Yes, we need to have goals. You need to have goals. Some goals that you will lead and some goals that you will follow. I say that again. Some goals, you will be the leader. Some goals, you will follow. For example, on your job, they set goals and you're going to follow those. 
and you say to yourself, I'm not going to have any errors this entire month. I'm going to make it a point I will not have any errors. I may have to work late a little bit, but I'm going to make sure I don't have any errors on my job. But then there are some goals you're going to set for yourselves. I'm going to do better with my diet. And I don't know why. I don't know why I went to the store and bought Blue Bunny ice cream, Double Star Oreos, chocolate chip cookies, and drumsticks yesterday. I don't know. And it just it didn't occur to me until about 9.30 this morning. I'm sitting over there in prayer. And I'm like, I guess I'm throwing that away. Or I can eat it all tonight. But God wants us to have good things. He just does not want good things to have us. Don't let whatever you desire to be consumed, to consume you. Do not let these things consume you. Now, when we think of lust, we think of generally something of a physical or intimate nature. But anything that we constantly think about, and I mean, when you, when you get to around, you know, April, May time frame, and you're thinking about graduation, graduation, high school or college or whatever, yeah, you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it. But once it's over with, you move on. You're thinking, you know, one more payment and this will be mine. One more payment and I can get it out of the layaway. And we think about those things. But when we think about the same things over and over and over and over again, and those things take precedence over God, it becomes lust. It becomes lust. So it's not always the nasty, dirty, ugly things that we can't talk about. It's about anything that we put above God. So my first point is this. Randomly, I say, let me ask this question. What gear are you in? What gear are you in? And I give you three choices. Park is not one of them. Are you in drive? Are you in neutral? Or are you in reverse? Are you in drive? Are you in neutral? Or are you in reverse? And I'll tell you why you're not in park in a minute. In verse 12, let's, let's look at verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were, you were called in when you did what? Make what? When you made your good confession, you came out of park. You made this good confession. Many of us, several of us, I'll say, have served in the armed forces. We made an oath. So we went from being a civilian to being a soldier. Whether or not you were a good soldier, a good sailor, a good marine, a good airman, was up to you. So you're no longer in part. But are you a good soldier in drive? Are you a mediocre soldier? Or are you a troublemaker? You're in reverse. So what gear are you in? Most motors, most engines, when they're, and I'll say engines, motor can be um, Electrical. But most motors, when you start them up, they run counterclockwise. I would think clockwise. But they run counterclockwise. Now, a motor by itself is not going to go anywhere. The engine by itself is not going to go anywhere. It needs to be connected 
to a transmission. And what's the transmission? It's your faith. It's your prayer life. It's your love. And a host of other, a whole gamut of things that is the transmission. They're both valuable, but the engine by itself isn't going to go anywhere. So who's the transmission? Who's the transmission? Mia. Mia. <laughs> I'm speaking in tongues, y'all. And the interpretation is? <laughs> we are the transmission. So who's the engine? God. So are we saying God's not going anywhere? No, because God is already there. God is already there, but if we want to be where God is, we've got to connect to God and use his love, or excuse me, use our praise, our prayers, our faith connected with him to get us where we've got to be. We have to be connected to God. If we want to move, this is all part of our seizing. If we're going to move, we've got to put our transmissions in gear and move forward. We've got to put our transmissions in gear and we've got to move forward. One is no good without the other because God don't need us. Come on now. God does not need us to do anything, but he wants us to be involved. He wants to do the things that will bring glory to, to us, but he wants us to be involved. He is sovereign. God can just, God can just come down and just blow open doors. And, and I mean, come on, y'all. Use your imagination. All the things that God could do when he blew with the breath of his nostrils, as they say in the movie The Ten Commandments, and he opened the Red Sea with just a blast of his nostrils. But we've got to connect ourselves. We have got to connect ourselves. So I'm asking you on the day, what gear are you in? And let me give you another hint. Most transmissions that I've ever driven have more gears to go forward than they do to go in reverse. There are more gears. I'm not, I'm not sure. Why am I praying? Because that's how you, that's how you talk to God. But I don't, I don't know how to pray. Well, pray this prayer. And we're all going to pray this prayer together. It's a three-worded prayer. Say, Jesus, Jesus help, help me. me. That's a prayer. And then fill in the blanks. Jesus, help me with my attitude. Jesus, help me to do better. I needed help yesterday. I dropped some things off, out, and I'll even tell you the intersection. Centerville and, where's the DAV? I was at the intersection of Centerville and Mount Pleasant. And I pulled up to the light, and I was in th there were three lanes, and I'm thinking, well, where are those two lanes going? So I looked in my rearview mirror, and I saw both of them had arrows to turn. Light turned green, and they all turned left, and I sitting there. Then their lights turned red. And when their lights turned red, what did I do? I went through the intersection. And I'm flashing my lights at everybody. What are y'all doing? The lights turned red. Why are you turning in front of me? I didn't have a green. 
And I'm sitting here arguing and fussing with these people. What are y'all doing? And they're, they're waving at me and they're telling me I'm number one. <laughs> it's international. So it's, it's even the simple things. Thank God nobody got hurt. And I mean, I'm driving down the road like, you big dummy. I mean, I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm thinking to myself. And I, and I was like, Lord, forgive me. Because I could have hurt somebody. I could have seriously hurt somebody. So it's like, Lord, show me even the small things. Show me the small things, Lord. It, it, there is nothing that is so small that you can't see it. There is nothing so small that you're not concerned because I heard somebody preaching this week, this week. It's like, no, I'm not going to bother God with the small things. Well, guess what? To God, everything is small. To God, everything is small. But if it concerns you, it concerns God. So what gear are you in? What gear are you in? If you're not sure, just go ahead and do like you're supposed to do. Put it in first gear. Give it just a little gas. And let off the clutch. <laughs> and you know something? How many of you know how to drive a stick? You can't drive a stick. Okay. All right. <laughs> but, but let me tell you something. It's difficult when you first start off. When you're, it is. And Pastor Wendy will tell you that she taught herself. <laughs> but the thing about it is, even if, you're, even if you're seasoned and you've done it for a while, you've been doing it for years, the hardest gear to start off is what? First gear. If the car is going to cut off on you, it's going to cut off on you in first gear. But guess what? If you're driving, let's say, a 5 or 6 speed, or let's just say a 4 or 5 speed, guess what? When you get on fifth gear... It's not going to shut off on you. I don't care how hard you pump that clutch, pop that clutch, you don't give it any gas. It may jerk on you, but it's not going to shut off. So the more momentum you get going, the easier it is to do. The more momentum you get going, the easier it is to do. And the harder it is to stop. The harder it is to stop. You might jerk, and it's like, oh, what am I doing wrong? And you know, the beauty is, it's when you're sitting on a hill looking up, and the light starts to change. And you're like, you know something? I got this. And people are in the car thinking, you're driving an automatic because you have gotten so good at it. Because you know, you know that point that you've got to give it just enough gas while your foot is still on the brake. And you feel that clutch starting to engage a little bit. And you start letting out on that clutch. You give it a more gas. And the car just starts moving forward. And you start looking back at 2018 saying, <laughs> I remember when I couldn't do that. I remember when I couldn't pray for 15 minutes. I remember when I would just look at the word of God and I never studied the word of God. What gear are you in? Number two. Fight for it. Fight for it. How many fighters do I have in here? How many fighters do I have in here? 
<laughs> okay, this is officially bust out Sunday. Okay. <laughs> now, when we talk about fights, the definition of fight is to engage in, endeavor vigorously to win, to command, to manage, or maneuver in battle. To engage in, endeavor vigorously to win, to command, to manage, or maneuver in battle. Does it say anything about striking, punching, kicking, pulling? What else can we do? Bite, gouge. We're not talking about a physical fight here. But you have got to learn to engage. You have got to learn to engage. You are not going to win a fight if you do not engage. When they ring the bell and you stand in your corner and you don't move, you will not win the fight. Endeavor vigorously to win. You have to go into the game with the mindset, oh, you know something? Their record, like these, who was it, a bowl game? I was watching it, and one team had like a nine and three record. The other one was six and six. And I'm like, you got a six and six record, and you, I'm not saying don't have your hopes up, but don't don't be saddened because you lost. But you've got to go into the game and, and think and say, I don't care what my record is. I don't care how many injured players I have. I don't care what's going on in the locker room, but on the field, we are going to win. They're bigger. They're faster. They're stronger. They're well coached. But guess what? We've got heart. We've got determination. The bills are past due. They're getting ready to have layoffs. No Christmas bonuses for those of you that might get them. The roads are closed. The roof is leaking. But it doesn't matter. I'm going to endeavor to win. I'm going to command all by itself. You have got to learn to speak the word of God. Command situations to happen. Um, something happened with Pastor Wendy, and, and we called someone, and it, it just took my prayer life to a whole nother level. And, and I'm so used to people saying, hey, I'm, my back hurts or whatever. Uh, can you pray for me? So, you know, I'll lay my hands on you and say, you know, Lord, we just believe that this is going to work out. You know, we just, we're just believing for wisdom that we don't keep making the same mistakes. And we just, and I close out by his stripes, we are healed. But we've got to learn to command that the bones right. get in alignment. Right. That any ligaments that were torn are hinged back together. We pray for all the arteries and the, and the what is, what's the other ones? Blood vessels to be open and aligned and not pinched. And I mean, just go down any and everything you can think of and command it. To come in the line with the word of God. Right. If all you know is, you know, by his stripes you're healed, that's, right. that's fine. But learn to play, to pray complete prayers. Yes, that's right. Learn to pray complete prayers. Even if someone, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, someone we've known for years passed away on yesterday. So, is it proper to say, well, I'm praying for you, meaning the person that's deceased? No. <laughs> Unless you're praying for the resurrection or, you know, that they be resuscitated. Why am I praying for someone that's already dead? 
I'm praying for you, Sister Nikki, and I'm just using this as an example. I'm praying for you that, one, you be comforted, that you feel the peace, that you understand that we love you. And I've been to enough funerals that people say, yeah, when this is all over with, you know, call us. We'll be here for you. You know, and we've got to pray those things. Not just that, you know, y'all make it through and that you have the money to bury them, and that's a whole other issue by itself. But anyway, we've got to learn to command. We've got to learn to manage and maneuver in the battle. You've got to learn to maneuver in the battle. You can't fight all of your enemies straightforward. Sometimes you've got to send reinforcements from the flank. Sometimes, even in battle, some of the greatest battles ever fought, you've got to learn when it's time to retreat. You've got to learn when it's time to retreat. So when this man on my job comes up to me and starts cussing me out, I'm going to retreat. I'm going to retreat. I'm not going to sit here and get in his face and cuss him out because, you know, you know what they say, you know, you cuss them out one good time, they'll leave you alone. Sometimes you've got to learn when to retreat in battle. So we've got to learn to fight for it. Jesus said in Matthew 26 and 52. Who is he talking to? Peter. He said, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. So we're not talking about a physical fight. You draw the sword, you're going to die by the sword. You want to get out on the streets, you want to cuss people, then guess what? You reap what you sow. You wonder why you act the way, why people treat you a certain way? Think about how you treat other people. Think about when people tell you you're number one. Did you tell anybody else they were number one? Somebody got that, Tom. Thank you. You reap what you sow, but this is not a physical fight. This is a fight not against flesh and blood. But in 1 Timothy 4 and 8, just a few chapters over, he says, for physical training is a value, is of some value. The King James says, bodily exercise profited little. There is some profit to doing those physical things, but godliness has value for all things. Godliness has value for all things. You don't know how many times when I go to Walmart, I want to pull out my MVP card. <laughs> Wrong, store. Wrong store. It doesn't apply in that store. When I go to Lowe's, people like, you go to Lowe's or Home Depot? I go to Lowe's. Why? Because I get a discount when I go to Lowe's. It doesn't work in there. But regardless, if you have a Visa card or you have cash, it works everywhere. It works Everywhere. Godliness works everywhere. Godliness. Why didn't you say something? It wasn't a time. Why did you let them dog you out like that? Don't worry. I got a plan. Can I pray for you? Why do you want to pray for me? <laughs> because I love you. And God loves you. 
And regardless of whether you and I see eye to eye, God wants to, God's glory wants to be manifest. And it's not about me and it's not about you and me. It's about God. Godliness applies in every situation. And if you're, if you're like me, you've had a few accidents. And I mean physical, accident, physical accidents in cars. And when you know you're wrong, the insurance company, first thing they tell you is never admit fault. And I'm telling you, I have never been in an accident where I did not admit fault. Oh, yeah, man, but you got to use some wisdom. Yeah, but the wisdom of God, the love of God. I'm not going to sit here. I mean, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention. In fact, the last accident I got in, first time, and I pray it's the last time, I ran into somebody on the back of 264 at Independence. Wasn't paying attention, trying to look and trying to look, trying to merge from one lane to another, rear-ended a young lady. And so they say, even the cops, the police officer told me the same thing. Guess what? I went in the courtroom, told my story, and the judge said, I'm dismissing your case. I never once denied that I was at fault. Because godliness applies in every situation. You don't have to preach people a sermon. You just have to do the right thing. And then my last point. Once we fight for it, you've got to hold on to it. Once you fight for it, you've got to hold on to it. I'm not talking about WWE. Brother Tyler, come up here. This is impromptu. I didn't even think about doing this. I didn't even think about doing this. Come on now, over here. Oh, you're going to get it. Concrete floor, too. Lay down, room. Lay down. So, what do they call it when you... Huh? People's elbow. Oh, does it? Okay. But anyway, I'm not going to do all of that. But what happens in the WWE when you pin your opponent down? One, two, and then all of a sudden he kicks his legs up, and I jump up like, oh, how did he get away? How did he get away? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You went through all of this trouble of running from this place to that place over there, and then getting on top of the ropes on Richard's box, and then jump, boom, get down on top of him. And I got him, and the ref comes over. One, two, he kicks up. Go ahead, thank you, sir. So how many times do we go through a 21-day of fast, praying and laying before God, turning down our plates, and we season what God is giving you, peace of mind about a situation, and then the devil comes over and goes, one, two, boom, and we let him go. Just that easy. You've got to hold on to it. Excuse me. You have got to hold on to it. Now, when I, when I Googled the word take hold, as the scripture says, when it says take hold, it comes up with this, to start to have an effect. Start to have an effect. You have got to hold on to your faith. Because faith is not what you see. Faith will never be about what you see. Because once you see it, according to Romans 8 and 24, you don't hope for what you already have. Once you see it, it's no longer, it's, it's no longer hope. 
Are you still hoping for that new car? No, you already got it. You, you pray, Lord, I, I pray this car lasts me till the next one you bless me with. I, I'm, that's what I'm believing God for. But when we're putting ourselves in this, in this position that we're going to start to have an effect, so we're going to hold on to this. We're going to hold on to this. Why are you holding on to that? Because I'm believing God. Really? You want to hold on to it with me? You want to hold on to this with me? Yeah, man. If you believe in God, I'm going to believe God with you. you got to hold on until it takes effect. Because other people are watching. Why are you holding on to that? Because I'm believing God. Well, what happens when it fails anyway? What happens when it fails anyway? When it doesn't go the way you want it to go, when your marriage still ended in a divorce, when your company still shut down, when you were still fired from your job, you just continue to believe God. Because the Bible says that the things that we see are temporary. It's the things we don't see that are eternal. If our faith is based only, based only on the things that we can touch and see, then we're going to miss it. So that means when your house is burned down, we don't trust God anymore. Lord, why did you let my house burn down? Because I got another house for you. And you were never going to get out of that house until that house burned down. Well, Lord, couldn't can we do a transition? I lost all my furniture. Okay. But I'm your daddy. I'm your daddy. But you've got to, we have got to hold on to it. We have to hold on to it. And it may not be easy. It may be that squealing pig that's all oiled down and he's fighting to get away from you. But you've got to hold on to it. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 9. As it is written, what eye has seen, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. Help me, Mother. We what? Okay. So what are we doing in the meantime? When we all get there. So what are you doing in the meantime? What are you doing today? Yeah. Are you singing and shouting the victory today? God gets more glory about you doing what you do for him than he does when we say, oh, we sure loved him. He was a good man. He would help anybody. He will give me shorter off his back. I love this brother. He called me all the time. I remember that time I didn't have no money. He took his money out of his bank and put it in my... You know, God gets a little bit of glory out of that. And I'm, not, and I'm not trying to minimize it. But God does get glory. But guess what? 
when the family goes home and we've gone back to the church and we've eaten all the chicken and the place is all cleaned up and the body's getting cold in the grave, guess what? I'm sorry. And I'm guilty of this too. We forget. We forget. But when, when you can sing the song, I am. What's the song? A living testimony should have been dead and gone. But Lord, you let me live on. God gives more glory about you getting up every day. Hey, how you doing today? I'm blessed. How you doing today? I'm blessed. How you doing today? I'm blessed and highly favored. The favor of God is on my life, and even when you don't feel like it, you got to fight for it. You got to fight for it. You got to fight for it. If I, if I give you the keys to my car, and I don't see you until tomorrow morning, can I say, she stole my car? No, I gave her the keys. Stop blaming the devil for stealing your joy when you let him have it. We're giving up our peace. We're giving up all of this. We have got to learn to see it, seize it. Every God-given opportunity in 2019. How many of you are in park on today? Nobody's in park. Anybody in neutral? Anybody in reverse? Right now. Is anybody in reverse? Because sometimes it feels like you need to go forward, and, and every time you let your foot off the clutch, you're just bucking. And you say, I can't do this. So you push the clutch in and put your foot on the brake. I can't do this. And then you take your foot off the brake and the, the thing is shut off and then you slide down the hill and you stop. I know how to stop the car. Try it again. Start it up. Put it in gear. No, you got it in the wrong gear. Put it in the first gear. Well, can I just put it in fifth gear? No, you can't start off in fifth gear. Life is not that way. You're not going to lose anything. Excuse me. Let me say you're not going to get back what you lost over five years, overnight. And, and I don't say this haphazardly. If it took you long, five years to lose your mind, you're not going to get it back overnight. If you're still troubled by things that happened in your past, it's going to take some time to get it back. Now, God performs miracles. God still performs miracles. But if he doesn't perform the miracle, are you willing to take the blessing? I'm blessed today. I don't have that mansion. You know how much a water boy on a football team makes? Roughly... And it could be a, a woman. Roughly $53,000, $55,000 a year to just take a bottle and squirt water in somebody's house, in their mouth and, and, and take a stinky towel. A water boy. 
I'll do it. Why can't I get that job? Pastor Winnick, last Sunday, she was like, Google how much a referee rate makes. I was like, it's like 85000 a year. $173,000 a year. Um, you're wrong. I'm not sure. It's in review. <laughs> Why can't I get that job? You are where you are. I am where I am because that's where God wants you to be. I don't know what God's plan is for your life. Only you know that. Pastor Wendy and I are here, as it says, now God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some teachers, some preachers for the equipping of the saints and the building of the ministry, and I'm paraphrasing that. So we're here to help you to connect to that engine and help you get in gear and help you to move forward. And guess what? Once you get that car going and people see you can drive, hey, can I get with you? Can I get a ride? When people see that you know how to drive, I mean, I, how many of us have been in the car and it's like, I'm never getting in the car with him again. It can't drive. <laughs> but when people see that you know how to drive, they want to get in the car with you. And when they know you're not going to charge them for gas, I want to ride with you. And I'm not talking about physical gas. When I know that I can call you in the middle of the night and you won't get mad and upset with me, I want to ride with you. The only thing I ask is when you call me, because my job has me on, on call 24-7, when you call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, please do not ask me, what are you doing? That's when I'm going to get upset. <laughs> Just kidding. But when people see that you have a purpose and a destiny, they want to ride with you. I want to, I want to go where are you going? Well, where? You don't understand where I'm going. You know something, though? I just want to ride with you. People do that. It's like, I, I just want to get out of the house. I just want to go somewhere. I want to ride with you. But you cannot seize if you do not move. We cannot seize if we do not move. 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 We do not 